Lesson 4 for January 19 to 25. Worthy is the Lamb. Sabbath afternoon, January 19. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is the centre of our faith. We thank you that Jesus is the centre of our salvation. And he's called the Lamb. Our lesson this week is, Worthy is the Lamb. And as we delve into the book of Revelation, we pray that not only may we see Jesus, but may we recommit ourselves to him each day as we study. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5. Do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Let's read that again, Revelation 5, verse 5. Do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Last week, we looked at Christ's messages to his people on earth. Now, John's vision shifts from earth to heaven and focuses on the things which must take place after this, as it says in Revelation 4, verse 1. The future. The vision of chapters 4 and 5 takes place in heaven's throne room. The scene of chapters 4 and 5 symbolically portrays God's control of history and of the plan of salvation. Before the future is revealed, however, we are shown the centrality of Christ's high priestly ministry in heaven to his sovereignty over the affairs of the earth and to his redemption of the human race. In such a way, chapters 4 and 5 provide heaven's perspective on the meaning of future events recorded in the rest of the book. One also may notice that while the messages to the seven churches were written in somewhat straightforward language, from now on the book employs even more symbolic language that is not always easy to interpret. This language is taken from the history of God's people as recorded in the Old Testament. A correct interpretation of Revelation requires a proper understanding of its symbolic language in light of the Old Testament. Sunday, January 20, in the Heavenly Throne Room. Starting in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus invites John to come up to heaven to be shown a panoramic survey of history from his time until Christ's return. Question, read Revelation 4, verse 1 through to verse 8, Ezekiel 1, verses 26 to 28, and Revelation 5, 11 to 14. Describe heaven's throne room. What do these verses teach us about the nature of the heavenly throne room? First of all, Revelation 4, 1 to 8. After these things, I saw a door standing open in heaven. I heard the first voice, like a trumpet, speaking to me. It said, Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. 
Instantly I came under the Spirit's power. I saw a throne in heaven, and someone was sitting on it, and one sitting there looked like grey quartz and red quartz. There was a rainbow around the throne which looked like an emerald. Around that throne were twenty-four other thrones, and on those thrones sat twenty-four leaders wearing white clothes. They had gold crowns on their heads. Lightning, noise and thunder came from the throne. Seven flaming torches were burning in front of the throne. These are the seven spirits of God. In front of the throne there was something like a sea of glass as clear as crystal. In the centre, near the throne, and around the throne were four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like a young bull, the third had a face like a human, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and were covered with eyes inside and out. Without stopping day or night, they were singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is coming. And then Ezekiel 1 verses 26 and 28. Above the dome over their heads was something that looked like a throne made of sapphire. On the throne was a figure that looked like a human. Then I saw what he looked like from the waist up. He looked like glowing bronze with fire all around it. From the waist down he looked like fire. A bright light surrounded him. The brightness all around him looked like a rainbow in the clouds. It was like the Lord's glory. When I saw it, I immediately bowed down and heard someone speaking. And Revelation 5, verses 11 to 14. Then I heard the voices of many angels and four living creatures and the leaders surrounding the throne. They numbered ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands times thousands. In a loud voice they were singing, The Lamb who was slain deserves to receive power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honour, glory and praise. I heard every creature in heaven on earth, under the earth and on the sea. Every creature in those places was singing. To the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, to praise, honour, glory and power for ever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. Then the leaders bowed and worshipped. The apostle looked through the open door into the heavenly temple and at the throne of God. The throne symbolised God's rule and governing authority over creation, while the rainbow around the throne signifies God's faithfulness to his promises. Let's look at Genesis 9, verses 13 to 16. I will put my rainbow in the clouds to be a sign of my promise to the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth, a rainbow will appear in the clouds. Then I will remember my promise to you and every living animal. Never again will water become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember my everlasting promise to every living animal on earth. And Isaiah 54 verses 9 and 10 to me this is like Noah's floodwaters, when I swore an oath that Noah's floodwaters would never cover the earth again. So now I swear an oath not to be angry with you or punish you. 
The mountains may move and the hills may shake, but my kindness will never depart from you. My promise of peace will never change, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. However, Satan, who usurped the dominion of this earth and is God's adversary, has disputed divine authority. The central issue in the great controversy between God and Satan is about who has the right to rule. The purpose of the heavenly council that John saw gathered in the heavenly throne room was to affirm God's rightful rule over the universe, as we have already read in Revelation 4, 1-8 and Revelation 5, 11-15. Question. Read Revelation 4, verses 8-11 to and Revelation 5, 9-14. What can you learn about true worship in these passages? In chapter 4, why is the Lord God worthy of being worshipped? And in Revelation 5, 9-14, why is the Lamb worthy? Well, first of all, Revelation chapter 4, verses 8-11. to Each of the four living creatures had six wings and were covered with eyes inside and out. Without stopping day or night, they were singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is coming. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour, and thanks to the one who sits on the throne, to the one who lives for ever and ever, the twenty-four leaders bow in front of the one who sits on the throne and worship the one who lives for ever and ever. They place their crowns in front of the throne and say, Our Lord and God, you deserve to receive glory, honour and power because you created everything. Everything came into existence and was created because of your will. And Revelation 5, beginning at verse 9, Then they sang a new song. You deserve to take the scroll and open the seals on it because you were slaughtered. You bought people with your blood to be God's own. They are from every tribe, language, people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests for our God. They will rule as kings on the earth. Then I heard the voices of many angels, the four living creatures and the leaders surrounding the throne. They numbered ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands times thousands. In a loud voice they were singing, The Lamb who was slain deserves to receive power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honour, glory and praise. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and on the sea. Every creature in those places was singing to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise, honour, glory, and power for ever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. Then the leaders bowed and worshipped. Revelation 4 gives a general description of the throne room in the heavenly temple and of the worship that repeatedly takes place there. While the worship in chapter 4 praises God's creative power, chapter 5 celebrates the redemption provided by the slain lamb. These chapters show that true worship recounts and celebrates God's mighty acts of creation and redemption. God, who created the world in six days, has the power and ability also to restore the world to its original condition and to turn it into the eternal home for his people, all of which he has promised to do. So to finish the day, think about what the gospel teaches. The one who created not just us and our world, but the entire cosmos. 
also was the Lamb who was slain, as it said in Revelation 5.12, for us. What amazing hope does this teaching present amid a world full of pain and turmoil? Monday, January 21, the Heavenly Assembly in the Throne Room. The description of the elders in Revelation 4.4 shows that they are not angelic beings. The title elders in the Bible always is used for humans, in contrast to angels, who invariably stand in God's presence. These elders sit on thrones. The white robes they wear are the attire of God's faithful people, as... uh, We read in Revelation 3, verses 4 and 5. But you have a few people inside us who have kept their clothes clean. They will walk with me in white clothes because they deserve it. Everyone who wins the victory will, this way, will wear white clothes. I will never erase their names from the book of life. I will acknowledge them in the presence of my Father and his angels. The victory crowns, from Greek Stephanos, in Revelation 4.4, 4, around that throne were 24 other thrones, and on these thrones sat 24 leaders wearing white robes. They had gold crowns on their heads. Are reserved exclusively for the victorious saints, as we read in James 1.12. Blessed are those who endure when they are tested. When they pass the test, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. All of these details suggest that the 24 elders are glorified saints. The number 24 is symbolic. It consists of two sets of 12 the number 12 in the Bible being a symbol of God's people. The 24 elders could represent God's people in their totality from both the Old and New Testament times. The number 24 also mirrors the chiefs of the 24 divisions of priests who took turns serving in the earthly temple services, as recorded in 1 Chronicles 24, 1-19. Let's read that. The divisions of Aaron's descendants were as follows. Aaron's sons were Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. Nadab and Abihu died before their father died, and neither had any children. So Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests. David, Eleazar's descendant Zadok, and Ithamar's descendant Ahimelech, divided Aaron's descendants into groups for service. Since Eleazar's descendants had more men who were family heads than Ithamar's descendants, they were divided so that Eleazar's descendants had sixteen family members or family leaders, and Ithamar's descendants had eight family leaders. Both groups were divided impartially by drawing lots, so that there were officers for the whole place and officers for God among both Eleazar's and Ithamar's descendants. The scribe Shemaiah was a son of Nathanael and a descendant of Levi. Shemaiah recorded their names in the presence of the king, the princes, the prince, priest Zadok, Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, 
and the family leaders of the priests and Levites. One family was chosen for Eleazar, another for Ithamar. The first lot drawn was for Jehoiarib, the second for Jediah, the third for Haram, the fourth for Sorium, the fifth for Malchiah, the sixth for Mijamim, the seventh for Hakoz, the eighth for Abijah, the ninth for Jeshua, the tenth for Shekaniah, the eleventh for Elishib, the twelfth for Jakim, the thirteenth for Hapa, the fourteenth for Jeshibab, the fifteenth for Bilga, the sixteenth for Ima, the seventeenth for Hezir, the eighteenth for Hapizez, the nineteenth for Pethahiah, the twentieth for Jehaziel, the twenty-first for Jachin, the twenty-second for Gamal, the twenty-third for Deliah, the twenty-fourth for Marziah. These were their priestly groups when they went to serve at the Lord's temple. Their ancestor Aaron made these rules for them, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded him. The fact that the twenty-four elders were never mentioned before in the Bible implies that they are a new group in the heavenly throne room. They perhaps are the ones who were raised from the dead at the time of Jesus' death, as we read in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one to 53 Suddenly the curtain in the temple was split in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, and the rocks were split open. The tombs were opened, and the bodies of many holy people who had died came back to life. They came out of the tombs after he had come back to life, and they went into the holy city where they appeared to many people. If so, these twenty-four elders, who ascended to heaven with Jesus, became representatives of humanity to witness the fairness in God's actions in the realization of the plan of salvation. In Revelation 5, verse 9, the twenty-four elders, along with the four living creatures, in verse 8, fall down in worship before the Lamb who was slain and yet lives. Together they sing a new song, extolling the Lamb as the one who was worthy, because, as it says in Revelation 5, 8 to 10, you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Question, Revelation 4, verses 6 to 8, also mentions the four living creatures or beings. Compare their description with the four living beings in Ezekiel 1, verses 5 to 14, Ezekiel 10, 20 to 22, and with the seraphim in Isaiah 6, verses 2 and 3. Revelation 4 beginning at verse 6, in front of the throne there was something like a sea of glass as clear as crystal. In the centre near the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like a young bull, the third had a face like a human, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and were covered with eyes, inside and out. Without stopping day or night, they were singing, Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is coming. And Ezekiel 1, 5-14, In the centre of the cloud I saw what looked like four living creatures. 
They were shaped like humans, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of calves, and they glittered like polished bronze. They had human hands under their wings on each of their four sides. All four of them had faces and wings. Their wings touched each other. The creature went straight ahead, and they did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. From the front, each creature had the face of a human. From the right, each one had the face of a lion. From the left, each one had the face of a bull. And from the back, each one had the face of an eagle. That is what their faces looked like. Their wings were spread out, pointing upward. Each creature had two wings with which they touched each other. The other two wings covered their bodies. Each of the creatures went straight ahead. They went wherever their spirit wanted to go, and they didn't turn as they moved. The living creatures looked like burning coals and torches. Fire moved back and forth between the living creatures. The fire was bright and lightning came out of the fire. The living creatures ran back and forth like lightning. Ezekiel 10, beginning at verse 22. These are the living creatures that I saw under the God of Israel at the Chiba River. I realized that they were angels. Each had four faces and four wings, and under their wings were what looked like human hands. Their faces looked exactly like the faces that I saw by the Chiba River. Each one went straight ahead. And Isaiah 6, verses 2 and 3, angels were standing above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. They called to each other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The four living creatures symbolize the exalted beings who serve God as his agents and the guardians of his throne, as we read in Psalm 99 and verse 1. The Lord rules as king. Let the people tremble. He is enthroned over the angels. Let the earth quake. Their wings point symbolically to their swiftness in carrying out God's orders, and their eyes point to their intelligence. Their presence together with the twenty-four elders and a myriad of angels around the throne, as we read in Revelation 5.11, shows that both heaven and earth are represented in the throne room. And to finish, we'll read Revelation 5.11. Then I heard the voices of many angels, the four living creatures and the leaders surrounding the throne. They numbered ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands times thousands. Tuesday, January 22, The Sealed Scroll Question, read Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. In light of Isaiah 29, 11 and 12, what is the meaning of the sealed scroll and why did John weep? First of all, we'll read Isaiah 29, verses 11 and 12. To you, all these visions will be like words in a book that is closed and sealed. You give this book to someone who can read, saying, Please read this. He answers, I can't read it. It's sealed. Then you give the book to someone who can't read, saying, Please read this. 
He answers, I can't read. So, Revelation 5, verses 1 to 4. I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who sits on the throne. It had writing both on the inside and on the outside. It was sealed with seven seals. I saw a powerful angel calling out in a loud voice, Who deserves to open the scroll and break the seals on it? No one in heaven, on earth, or under the earth could open the scroll or look inside it. I cried bitterly, because no one was found who deserved to open the scroll or look inside it. The Greek text indicates that the scroll was lying on the throne at the right hand of the Father. It waited for the one who was worthy to take it and to loose its seals, as it said in Revelation 5 verse 2. In the words of Ellen G. White, the sealed scroll contains, as she writes in Manuscript Releases, Volume 9, page 7, the history of God's providences, the prophetic history of nations and the Church. Herein was contained the divine utterances, his authority, his commandments, his laws, the whole symbolic counsel of the eternal, and the history of all ruling powers in the nations. In symbolic language was contained in that role the influence of every nation, tongue, and people from the beginning of earth's history to its closed. End of quote. In short, the seal scroll contains the mystery of God regarding his plans to solve the sin problem and save fallen human beings. The full realization of that mystery will occur at the second coming of Christ. Let's look at Revelation chapter 10 and verse 7. In the days when the seventh angel is ready to blow his trumpet, the mystery of God will be completed, as he has made this good news known to his servants, the prophets. Question, read Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 to 7. Why is Christ, the only one in the whole universe, worthy to take the sealed scroll and unseal it. Revelation 5, beginning at verse 5. Then one of the leaders said to me, Stop crying. The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has won the victory. He can open the scroll and the seven seals on it. I saw a lamb standing in the center near the throne with the four living creatures and the leaders. The lamb looked like he had been slaughtered. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent all over the world. He took the scroll from the right hand of the one who sits on the throne. The crisis in the throne room is related to Satan's rebellion. This planet, although created by God, has been under the dominion of the usurper, Satan. John's tears expressed the longing of God's people, since Adam for salvation from the bondage of sin. The sealed scroll comprised God's plan for resolving the sin problem. No doubt, with his immeasurable power, God himself could realize that plan. However, the redemption of the fallen human race required something special, and that was Jesus, who did overcome, and thus was worthy to open the book to assume the lordship over this earth and become our mediator in the heavenly sanctuary. And so to finish today, how do we learn to keep Jesus first and foremost in our Christian experience?
Wednesday, January 23. Worthy is the Lamb. Question. Read Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 to 14, along with Ephesians 1, 20 to 23, and Hebrews 10, 12. Together, what are they saying that should give us great hope and comfort amid a world that, in and of itself, offers so little of either? Revelation 5, beginning at verse 8. When the Lamb had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders bowed in front of him. Each held a harp and a gold bowl full of incense, the prayers of God's holy people. Then they sang a new song. You deserve to take the scroll and open the seals on it, because you were slaughtered. You bought people with your blood to be God's own. They are from every tribe, language, people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests for our God. They will rule as kings on the earth. Then I heard the voices of many angels, the four living creatures and the leaders surrounding the throne. They numbered ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands times thousands. In a loud voice they were singing, The Lamb who was slain deserves to receive power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honour, glory and praise. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth and on the sea, every creature in those places was singing to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise, honour, glory and power for ever and ever. The four living creatures said Amen. Then the leaders bowed and worshipped. And Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 20. He worked with that same power in Christ when he brought him back to life and gave him the honoured position, the one next to God the Father on the heavenly throne. He is far above all rulers, authorities, powers, lords and all other names that can be named, not only in this present world, but also in the world to come. God has put everything under the control of Christ. He has made Christ the head of everything for the good of the church. The church is Christ's body and completes him as he fills everything in every way. And Hebrews 10 and verse 12. However, this chief priest made one sacrifice for sins, and that sacrifice lasts forever. Now he holds the honoured position, the one next to God the Father on the heavenly throne. As Christ, the Lamb, approaches the throne, he takes the scroll. This act shows that all authority and sovereignty belong to him, as we read in Matthew 28, verse 18. When Jesus came near, he spoke to them. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And Ephesians 1, verses 20 to 22. He worked with that same power in Christ when he brought him back to life and gave him the honoured position, the one next to God the Father on the heavenly throne. He is far above all rulers, authorities, powers, lords, and all other names that can be named, not only in this present world, but also in the world to come. For God has put everything under the control of Christ. He has made Christ the head of everything for the good of the church. At that moment, the whole universe acknowledges Christ's rightful rule over earth. What was lost with Adam has been regained with Christ. 
When Christ takes the scroll, it shows he holds the destiny of all humanity in his hands. The four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fall down before him and worship, as they did in Revelation 5.9. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. By this act of adoration, the exalted angels and the representatives of redeemed humanity affirm Christ's sacrifice on behalf of humanity. With his blood, he has paid the ransom for fallen human beings and offers them all the hope of redemption and the promise of a future we barely can imagine. The four living creatures and the elders are now joined by the countless number of the angelic host surrounding the throne and directing praises to the Lamb that had been slain and now, as it says in Hebrews 7.25, lives to make intercession for the fallen race. In unison, the occupants of the throne room exclaim with a loud voice, as it says in Revelation 5.12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. At this point, all creation in heaven and on earth joins together in offering royal adoration both to the Father and Christ. Revelation 5.13 Blessing and honour and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb for ever and ever. Their praise is met with an Amen by the four living creatures and the prostration of the twenty-four elders, thus concluding this rapturous veneration in the heavenly throne room. So to finish today, physicists speculate that one day the universe will burn out, collapse in on itself, or just rip apart. What a contrast to the future presented in the Word of God. How can we start rejoicing even now in the future that awaits us? Thursday, January 24, The Significance of Pentecost In the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Acts 2, verses 1 to 4, confirms one of the most decisive events in the history of the plan of salvation, the inauguration of Christ into his post-Calvary ministry as High Priest and King in the heavenly sanctuary. Let's read that, Acts 2, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And also, we'll compare that with Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? 
And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see, and hear. Through his high priestly ministry at the right hand of the Father, as expressed in Revelation 5 verses 6 and 7, Christ is able to carry out the plan of salvation to its ultimate realization. Revelation 5, beginning at verse 6, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though he had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Christ is able to carry out the plan of salvation to its ultimate realization. As our mediator in the heavenly sanctuary, Jesus works to save us. Through him, believers may have free access to God and receive forgiveness for their sins. Question. Read Acts chapter 3, verses 32 to 36, along with John 7:39. What hope and encouragement did you find in the fact that Jesus stands in heaven as our high priest and king? First of all, Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 32. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And John 7, verse 39. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The exaltation of Christ in the heavenly sanctuary was followed by the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples. Revelation 5.6 mentions the seven spirits that are sent out into all the earth. As we saw in an earlier lesson, the seven spirits denote the fullness of the activity of the Holy Spirit in the world. At Christ's enthronement, the Spirit is sent to the church. This sending of the Holy Spirit is one of Christ's first acts as our High Priest in the heavenly sanctuary. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit meant that Jesus had appeared before the Father and that God had accepted his sacrifice on behalf of humanity. From the Acts of the Apostles, page 38 and 39, we read, Christ's ascension to heaven was the signal that his followers were to receive the promised blessing. When Christ passed within the heavenly gates, he was enthroned amidst the adoration of the angels. As soon as this ceremony was completed, the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples in rich currents, and Christ was indeed glorified, even with the glory which he had with the Father from all eternity. The Pentecostal outpouring was heaven's communication that the Redeemer's inauguration was accomplished. 
According to his promise, he had sent the Holy Spirit from heaven to his followers as a token that he had, as priest and king, received all authority in heaven and on earth, and was the anointed one over his people. So, to finish today, read Hebrews 4.16 and Hebrews 8. One. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And Hebrews 8.1 Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. What hope and encouragement do you find in the assurance that Jesus, as priest and king, has received all authority in heaven and on earth? How does believing this truth help you deal with everyday situations in your life and with the uncertainty of the future? Friday, January 25. The message of Revelation 4 and 5 is particularly important to the people of God living at the close of earth's history. The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost marked the beginning of the preaching of the gospel to all the world. The central message was about Jesus, who had been exalted as priest and king at the right hand of the Father. This truth about Jesus was the heart of the early Christians' belief, as recorded in Hebrews 8.1, and the cornerstone of their preaching, as recorded in Acts 2.32 and 33, and Acts 5.30 and 31. They read Hebrews 8 verse 1, Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. And Acts chapter 2 verses 32 and 33. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see, and here, and Acts 5, verses 30 and 31, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and saviour, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. It also was their motivation and the source of their faith and courage in the face of persecution and difficult life situations. As we read in Acts 7 verses 55 and verse 56, But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And Romans 8 verse 34, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. As a result, many people responded to their preaching. From that time on, the kingdom of God manifested itself and keeps on doing so through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We never must forget that it is only the good news of salvation in Christ that can reach and transform human hearts and lead people to respond to the call of the everlasting gospel to fear God, give Him glory, 
and worship him, as we read in Revelation 14, verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Our only hope is in our Saviour, who is our priest and king in the heavenly sanctuary. He is with his people, and he always will be with them until the very end. Matthew 28, verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He holds the future in his hands. Let us therefore never forget that keeping the essence of the gospel in mind will bring full success in preaching the final message to lost and suffering humankind. Nothing else we preach is more important than the cross and what it teaches us about God. And that brings us to our two discussion questions for this week. One, one day we will be in heaven praising and worshipping the Lord for his goodness, his power and especially his grace. What are ways that even now we can get in practice for the time when that great day comes? That is, how can we worship with grateful hearts and praise God now for all that he has done and will do? And two, read Revelation 4 verse 11 and 5 verse 9. In what roles do we see the Father and the Son here, and how are both roles central not just to the plan of salvation, but also to why God is so worthy of our worship. Revelation 4, verse 11, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And Revelation 5, verse 9, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. How is the Sabbath and what it teaches an expression of these two wonderful truths about our God? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled Two Impossible Prayers and it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. One of the most perplexing questions that people ask is how to choose the right spouse. For Mario Brito, president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church's Inter-European Division, it was simple. He asked God two seemingly impossible things. Mario remembered Maria while praying for a mission-minded wife when he was a third-year theology student at the Adventist University of France in Collonges, France. The two had met the previous year as students at the Spanish Adventist Seminary, now Spanish Adventist College, in Segunto in Spain. Mario had the strong impression that Maria might be the one but he wasn't completely certain, so he prayed, God, if you see that Maria should be my wife, put it in her heart to write me a letter. This plea seemed an impossible request at a time when women never took the initiative in a dating relationship. 
To Mario's surprise, he received a friendly letter about a week later. He wrote a warm letter to Maria and made the second impossible prayer request. Lord, the normal thing would be for Maria to answer, he said. But if she is to be my wife, make it happen in such a way that she doesn't answer. Weeks passed and no letter came. The two didn't communicate again until the next school year when Maria moved to the Adventist University of France for her third year of studies. Soon, Mario and Maria were dating. One day, Mario curiously asked Maria why she hadn't replied. I felt it was a cold and very formal letter, so I decided not to answer, she said. Mario couldn't believe her description and asked whether she still had the letter. Maria retrieved the letter from her room, and the couple read it together. It was as warm as Mario remembered. What was wrong with it, so you didn't answer? Mario asked again. Maria didn't know what to say. Mario then told her about his two prayers. Maria smiled. Now you have your explanation, she said. The couple married the next year. Thirty-nine years later, Mario remains confident that he chose the right wife. The couple served as frontline missionaries planting churches in unreached areas of Portugal for more than a decade. Mario went on to become president of the Adventist Church in Portugal, and in 2015 he was elected president of the Inter-European Division. Mario and Maria's home is also a mission field. They raised a daughter who is married to an Adventist pastor and are the adoptive parents of 12 teenagers. Maria has a heart for mission, Mario said. Yes, I believe it was the right match. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.